So the reading this morning, and I think for all of the weekend, is from Philippians chapter 4, and it's verses 1 to 9. Therefore, my brothers, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, this is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. I plead with Yodia and I plead with Syntec to agree with each other in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Well, once again, it's uh, really good to be with you. And um, just thinking about that question about the kids again, I said, when I was showing these questions last time, I said to Rosemary, what, what, what do you think? It's one, you can only say one thing. What is it about the kids that, she said immediately, they're all good looking. <laughs> and then I thought, well, they would be really, wouldn't they? Anyway, um, uh, we're looking at this, um, this passage and you want, I don't know whether you want it on there or whether you want to read it but, uh, uh, from, your own, uh, from your own Bible, but um, let me pray. <coughs> Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and as we gather to hear and read and under- try to understand your word this morning, we pray that you would, um, you would help us, Father, by the power of your spirit, uh, that you would be our teacher rather than what we think. Uh, scriptures mean, etc. We pray that you would that you would be our judge and not us of your word. And so help us to come in humility, uh, help us to understand you and your word better, and, and all that we may know our Lord Jesus Christ better and serve him better in this world. So guide us and lead us, we pray, in the power of your spirit. Amen. Well, some of these thoughts are only mine, but uh, you can take them as you will. Uh, I think spiritually the church in Western society is not healthy, and particularly our own Anglican church. I know that there are some healthy Anglican churches throughout Western society. There certainly are in New Zealand. But generally speaking, we are spiritually unwell. We are unstable. We are sort of not sure of what we should believe anymore, what we should think anymore, what we should be doing, and, what we, and we're not sure of what we should accept and what we shouldn't accept anymore. We're, we're unstable. And I think that's for two reasons. First, we live in a post-Christian society whose philosophy and culture isn't, isn't just uh, not Christian anymore, it's become anti-Christian. And that's getting worse. And secondly, over the last 150 years, liberalism within the church has led to a huge watering down of the true gospel. There's been a slow, very slow, chip, chip, chipping away of biblical truth. And that's resulted in individual Christians and many churches confused as to what they believe. 
And that, in turn, has led many churches and Christians doing all sorts of stuff uh, and over-focusing on other things in, in the ministry, uh, sort of social justice and community and poverty and political issues and social issues and gender issues, all important, you understand, but losing focus on the true ministry, the true gospel of what we should be doing, especially evangelism. And my sense is that this will only increase. It's increased over the last 20 years, and I think it's going to increase. What then are we to do? How can we remain faithful to the gospel and reach others for Christ when forces outside the church and much inside the church uh, is enticing us away from true faith and true ministry? How can we remain spiritually stable and not be, as James says, tossed about by every wind, wind of teaching that comes along? How can we be spiritually faithful and productive in the face of these two powerful forces? Well, this was something like what faced the church at Philippi in the first century. Yes, when you read the Philippians, uh, you'll know that it, the church, when the church began, it was a joyous church, it was evangelistic, it was a place of true fellowship, it was a place where Christians loved each other. But as society became more anti-Christian, and as false teaching within the church confused their beliefs, the church was becoming spiritually unstable. That's what the church faced at Philippi. That's why Paul wrote to them. And it's what the <clears throat> Anglican church in Western society, which is us, that's what we face today. And so Paul wrote this letter uh, to, the, to the Philippians to point out where they're going astray and what they're doing wrong and try to encourage them to remain strong in their faith remain spiritually stable. And when you read the letter carefully, when you, when you go, right, go through it in one hit, and you can sense Paul doing that as he goes through the letter. Yes, he praises them, it's a joyful letter, but he's also teaching them doctrine and what's important and what isn't important. And in chapter 4, verse 1, as he comes to the end of his letter, he tells them to stand firm in the Lord. And what he's been saying in the first three chapters is how they are to stand firm. And what Paul means is, stand firm in what they were first taught by the apostles. That is the true gospel. People in society, false teachers and other people in the church and other things in the church will try to move them from this one thing that you were first taught about Jesus Christ, about the gospel. They will try to change it. They will try to shift you from it. They'll try to get you on other religious bandwagons, on other religious things, uh, but don't move from it. He says, stand firm. And I'm not a Greek scholar, but the Greek word there is stekate. And that's the word for a soldier who is standing his ground in battle. The enemy is trying to move him, but the commanding officer says, stand firm, don't move, hold your ground. Or if you're from a naval background, which is a lot better, <laughs> hold your course. Hold your course, stand firm. That's the picture. Forces were trying to move them from the true gospel which Paul had first taught them. And Paul says, no, don't let them move you. Stand firm. And surely that's God's word to the Anglican church today in this present crisis. Stand firm. Hold your ground. We now live in a culture which is shifting. Our culture is changing. It's changed massively over the last 40 years and it's changing from its old ways. Some changes are good, obviously. Some changes are needed, obviously. But some are what our, Christian, are what our foundations were built on. 
New Zealand was built basically on Christian foundations. They are fundamental to our society as a people. But we're now, we're obsessed with new things. We're obsessed with new ideas and new philosophies and new laws which are ripping up the very foundations of our society. Nothing is stable anymore. What was wrong 20 years ago, even 10 years ago, is not wrong anymore. There's no absolute truths anymore. There's no absolute right or absolute wrong. Just as somebody said to me last year, well, that may be right for you, Ollie, but it's not right for me. That may be true for you, Ollie, but that's not true for me. And so we're in a sea of relativism. And the foundations on which Western society were built, including New Zealand, are being pulled up. We've become a culture with no anchor, with no stability. The rules and the laws are made up as we go along. And it's mainly the majority, or whether it's a little group who wants to push things, where we change the laws. They're made up as we go along. And this has come into the church. This philosophy has come into the church, which also has become obsessed with new ideas, new theologies, new way of doing things, defining new standards of moral behaviour. And so the church, too, is like a ship with no anchor, drifting around on the ocean. Go over here, they just go over there, go over there. Often led away by every wave of new teaching, some wacky thing that comes out of America. There's no Americans here, is there? Yeah, so it comes out of Greenland. But this new, new thing comes out of Greenland. So it's, it's the latest spiritual book where we all should, God's doing a new thing, so we all jump on that bandwagon. Another one comes along three years later and we jump on that one. Many churches don't know where they're going or what they're doing. They don't know why they're doing it. You think I'm telling you... you, you I think you're very fortunate, St. Stephen's, the teachings you've had over the many years. But you go to some other churches, they don't know what they're doing. A New Zealand bishop said a few years ago, he said this. He said, he said Christians aren't the only ones who don't know what they're doing or where they're going. <laughs> That's a New Zealand bishop. Doesn't know what the church is supposed to be doing or where they're going or why they're doing it. Well, that was threatening the church at Philippi. And so Paul throws the anchors over. And in effect, he says, stand firm in the gospel that you first received. And in this letter, he points to a few things specifically, which I just want to bring you in this, uh, in this half hour we've got or whatever. He, bring, he talks about three things specifically in this letter. One, stand firm in what you believe, in doctrine. In chapter 3, Paul rips into those who were teaching false things about the gospel. It was mainly Jewish people, but not, not, not just them. And very simply put, they were saying, yes, you need to believe in Jesus Christ for salvation. Yes, of course you do, but you also have to obey some of the laws of Moses. You have to be circumcised. You have to observe the Sabbath. You have to fast. You have to do this, etc. Paul had taught that salvation comes through faith in Jesus Christ alone. That is the true gospel. But some who had come into the church were changing it. They were tweaking it. They were adding things or they were emphasizing wrong things. And so the, so the Philippians became confused about what was important and what is not important. And it's exactly what we have today. Wrong doctrine. More and more over the last 50, 60, 70 years, more and more church leaders today denying or changing the very basics of our Christian belief. Many leaders now openly don't believe the miracles of Jesus. They've, they've hardly ever believed the miracles of the Old Testament. Now they don't believe the miracles of Jesus. They deny his, his virgin birth. Even the resurrection is denied. 
in Wellington a couple of years ago, a, a Presbyterian uh, minister denied that Jesus was the Son of God as we've always believed in our tradition. At a clergy conference that I was at 15, 16 years ago, 30% of the clergy said they didn't believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus. 30%. The scriptures are watered down or given different interpretation. They're given different spins on it. Moving away from the faith which was once delivered to the saints. In the 39 articles, which are, which are really our Anglican statement or confession of faith, it's what we believe, they've been there for five centuries. In the 39 articles you will find the doctrine of justification by faith alone, Article 2. You will find that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins in my place, Article 2. You'll find the doctrine of original sin, Article 9. The bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ, Article 4. The return of Jesus Christ, Article 4. And especially today, the, the authority of the Bible as the Word of God, which contains all things necessary for salvation, Article 6. These are our, and, and there are 30 odd others more, these are the anchors for the church, but one by one they're being pulled up. Liberalism, postmodernism, humanism, feminism, New Age spirituality mixed in with Christianity, all has come into the church. And even for those who say that they believe the Scriptures, there's a sort of questioning or a reinterpreting, or getting round or confusing things which are plain teaching. Oh, no, it doesn't mean that. It means something else. Oh, I know that, but it doesn't mean something else. They put a particular new slant or a new meaning given to passages which Christians have always held. They put new slants on it, and off they go. Pulling up the anchors and leaving Christians confused, not really knowing what they believe, unstable and not knowing why they believe these things. All this is happening now. Well, Paul would exhort us as a Christian, as an individual Christian and as a church, he would exhort us to stand firm. Stand firm in the truths once delivered to the saints. And I'll tell you, brothers and sisters, it will not be easy, as you've probably found out over the last three or four years, and your vicar certainly has. It will not be easy. You'll be called narrow-minded, You'll be called intolerant and negative and judgmental. You'll, you'll be called lacking in theological, in, intellectual thought. You'll be, you'll be accused by some in the church of causing disunity, of not being pastorally sensitive. Or, or one that's come in recently, oh, you're not listening to God. You're not listening to this new thing which God is doing uh, amongst his people. You'll be accused of all sorts of things. But to remain faithful, this is where we start. Stand firm in the truth of God's word, the true gospel. Don't be moved from it. Teach it to your Sunday schools. Teach it to your youth group. Teach it to your Bible study groups. Teach God's word to your people. Secondly, stand firm in behaviour, in how we are to live as Christians. In chapter 2, Paul speaks of becoming more like Christ. He talks about becoming blameless and pure. He, he speaks of Christians shining like stars in a depraved generation. In short, living a holy life, morally and ethically. Whether it's at home or work, in the church, out in society, in all of life, be holy. And Paul wrote chapter 2 because wrong teaching about God and Jesus Christ leads to unholy behaviour. That always follows. Wrong teaching about God 
leads to ungodly behaviour. Always follows. It did 2,000 years ago in Philippi and it's true in this society. It's true in our society. Yes, this society has always had prostitution and adultery and drunkenness and sexual immorality. It's always had those things. But as Christianity and the Ten Commandments and the church have had less influence over the decades, it has got worse. There are very few moral boundaries anymore. There was an article in the press uh, some time ago, which I, I read this lady quite, quite a lot. Uh, she, she wrote an article. Uh, she's a non-Christian, by the way. And she talked about how small New Zealand rural towns have lost their values. And she said, money and other things have replaced the Christianity that knitted small communities together. Now, by Christianity, she meant nominal Christianity. She meant Christian ethics. Love your neighbour, don't commit adultery, don't tell lies, etc., etc., and the article went on to say that there were no moral boundaries anymore. And she finished by saying, when you have no moral compass, you do what you want. When you have no moral compass, you do what you want. And so people today, if they do believe in God, they never see God as holy, with holy laws, giving holy standards of behaviour. They have a wrong view of God. Most New Zealanders today, again, if they believe in God, they think that God is either irrelevant, well, it's just irrelevant, or he's this sort of pathetic old big father Christmas in the sky who's always forgiving and always giving, he's there to give us and forgive us, and there's no such thing as judgment or accountability, no salvation in Christ, no judgment, none of those things. God is just this old softy in the sky who accepts all people because he's a God of love. And a society who believes that about God will live to satisfy self. Anything goes. No moral compass. That's always the case. A wrong view of God leads to a lack of holy behaviour. And so that comes into the church. That culture comes into the church. And so the church as the church gradually cast aside these great doctrines of God, his sovereignty, his holiness, his providence, his demands for holy living, the church too has a false view of God. And so it too eventually lacks true godly behaviour. And so today when you talk to some Christians about things like sexual purity and fighting against sin, and fighting against lustful desires in our hearts. When you talk about those kind of things and mortification, oh, they think that's a bit over the top. Oh, that's something the Puritans dreamt up, Wally, and you sort of very conservative. That's not, uh, that's how they think. That's how many people in the church think. Once belief in a holy God goes, so does holy behaviour. But Paul says, stand firm. God is holy. And he gave us holy laws to live by. And so in these times when the church is being so influenced by our increasingly libera, liberal agenda-driven society, and our young people are being conditioned by that, and they live in that every single day and get conditioned by it and influenced by it, we must stand firm. Pursue and teach your congregation or your youth group, or your Sunday school, or your own family. Teach them holy living. And again, brothers and sisters, that won't be easy. It will be difficult. 
it's very hard to resist watching some of the smutty stuff today which is on our television screens and in the cinema. It's hard not to look at them. It's hard not to look at stuff which is on the internet. It's very difficult. It's hard for young Christians today to resist having sex before marriage. It's very difficult for them. They'll get labelled as being legalistic or holier than thou. You know what he's like, holy, you know, sort of holier than thou. You'll get, you'll get accused of being puritanical, even a hypocrite. You'll get accused of not being fun loving. Oh, you're too serious. You know, you're not into fun. You're not cool. That's what you'll be accused of. And sometimes by, even by people in the church. I've had Christians roll their eyes <coughs> when I preach about sin. Oh, not again, Wally, surely. There are many temptations around and we shouldn't be moved nor guided by the laxity of our age. Stand firm in living a holy life. Yes, you will fail. As I have done and as I do, you will fail. And you'll fail again and again. You will fail. But get back up and in the power of the Spirit stand firm and help your brothers and sisters to stand firm. Thirdly, and most importantly, stand firm spiritually. Paul says in the Lord. Paul says in chapter 3 that he wants to know Christ. He wants to be in communion and fellowship with God in Jesus Christ. And therein lies the key to remaining spiritually stable for every Christian. Yes, stand firm in these great doctrines. Stand firm in behaviour. But the key to standing your ground in those and being spiritually stable and which will keep you through these difficult times is stay in fellowship with Jesus Christ constantly. Jesus said, abide in me and I will abide in you. This is what he meant. And this is the heart and the source of spiritual strength and stability. As an individual Christian and as a church, abiding in Jesus, spending time with Jesus and knowing him more and more and more is the key. You can know all the doctrines. You can know all about Calvinism and Arminianism and so-and-so's view on theology and I think he's got a wonderful place on his theology. You can, know, you can know your Bible. You can have your bachelor's degree and your doctorate in theology. You can know your Bible backwards and quote verse on and on and on. But if there is no regular, close fellowship with Jesus, no abiding in him, you will move. You will shift from your true doctrine. This is the greatest spiritual principle of standing firm, our growing relationship in Jesus Christ. Through daily prayer, regular reading and learning from God's word, regular Christian fellowship and worshipping together. And forces, the enemy, forces will try to move you from this one thing constantly, every day. But you must stand firm in your growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And that too is not easy. It requires discipline and commitment and perseverance. But to stand firm in Christ is crucial. That's the key. Well, let me finish by saying three things. I don't want to sound over dramatic, but I want to say three things. One. The crisis which the world Anglican Church has been facing for 20 years or more and which many Anglicans in New Zealand have sort of ignored, 
swept it under the carpet, think that it's only for people overseas, they viewed it from afar, don't think it'll come here. It has now come to every Anglican church door in New Zealand. It's knocking at your door. And there is the real threat of dividing our church. Secondly, in the providence of God, we, this generation of New Zealand Anglicans, you, me, we are the ones who have the responsibility of facing it. Are we going to move? Are we going to be shifted from the true gospel and follow the whims of our culture and the increasing liberal agenda of many in the church? Or are we going to stand firm? And then how do we do that? Thirdly, and again, I don't want to sound overdramatic, but in a real sense, the eyes of our evangelical Anglican brothers and sisters around the world, those in Africa, in Canada, in Asia, in America, in the United Kingdom, in South America, in the Eastern countries, our, brothers and our evangelical brothers and sisters are waiting to see what we do. Many of them have suffered in different ways for the gospel. Many have fought this, this issue at great cost to themselves and a great cost to their church. At a great cost to their own families, at a great cost to their congregations, but they have stood firm. And many of them are praying for you and they're praying for your minister in this time. People around the world are praying for him. And my encouragement would be, pray for your church. Pray for this Anglican church. Pray for God's church, your church, that we'll stand firm and do the right thing. Let me pray. Oh, loving Father, we do thank you for all that you are and all that you've done in Jesus. Forgive us, Father, we pray, when we've got carried away on all sorts of things and sort of put your gospel aside in a sense help us Father we pray to stand firm give us spiritual discernment which sees what's happening according to your word which sees what's happening throughout the world and give us eyes to see clearly and help us Father we pray to continually keep our eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ guide us and lead us by your spirit that we would do the right thing and the godly thing. And strengthen each one of us individually, we pray. Help us to stand firm in our doctrine, in our behavior, and especially in the Lord Jesus Christ. There may be some here this morning who feel that they're in the wilderness. I pray, Heavenly Father, you bring them back and show them your love and your grace and your Holy Spirit. In our Lord's name we pray. Amen.